Welcome to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. My name is Cindy McMillan. Do you ever feel like you're waiting on a permission slip to live the life you want? If you answer yes, then you're in the right spot. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. In this episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, we are chatting about what makes a good death doula, and my guest is Sue Phillips. Sue is a critical illness, end-of-life doula in Ontario, Canada, interested in raising public awareness on the scope and value of the support she provides. Welcome to the show, Sue. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much, Cindy. I want to say that uh, I want to thank you for providing this platform. It's so interesting. um, And I love that uh, all the guests, I've I've had a chance to listen to some podcasts now, and uh, um, I just love it. So thank you, and thanks for including me. Sue, it's so important to me that I have these conversations with end-of-life doulas, and I wanted to share with you my Two most popular episodes on the podcast are the conversation with end-of-life doula Hannah Fowler and the conversation with end-of-life doula Lynn um, Golden. Those are the two most popular. And I always find that, one, I'm happy about it, but I always find that a little intriguing that the ones on, you know, the end of life are the most popular I'm not surprised. It's because it's one of those difficult conversations that we don't engage in, you know, face to face with our loved ones or friends. It's not a common thing to do. So when there is an opportunity on a podcast like yours, uh, people do become intrigued by it and uh, and it gives them pause to reflect for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to start off with... And if you've listened to a couple of the episodes, you know, it's my favorite question. And I do ask it of everybody because it is so rich with what everybody has to say about what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Love the question, uh, Cindy. Thank you so much. So, you know, I think for personally, um, I'm in that season or stage, if you will, you know, I think back to maiden, mother, and crone. And I'm at that crone stage. And with that crone stage comes wisdom and acceptance and a willingness to explore more difficult, uh, you know, feelings and uh, topics, you name it, just a willingness to explore the hard stuff, feel the feelings, not be afraid um, so I'm there, and and also to recognize intuition, which I wasn't able to do as a young mother. I did have some intuition, of course, but uh, you know I didn't always trust that intuition. And now I have that beautiful trust in myself, trust in the wisdom that I'm gaining. Uh, you know, in my later years, you know, as a lifelong learner, I appreciate not just the academic learning that I experience, but 
you know, learning how to fulfill my own desires and goals and how to best connect with the diversity in our universe. From a business perspective, um, again, I thrive on learning. And uh, so I learn through industry courses, but also by networking with like-minded people. So I belong to so many fantastic networking, not just around the industry, but being entrepreneurial, many different things. So I love that. I love, you know, that season of my life, just soaking it all in. And you know what? Mostly I learned from my clients. I am, I'm not the expert. They are the experts of their experience, be it life or death. So I'm always learning. So thank you for saying that about, you know, your clients being the experts. And because that that's, that's how I feel as well. You know, we are all our own authority and the experts in our lives. But I wanted to um, mention one thing about you when you said you were a lifelong learner, because I consider myself one too. And don't you find that when you're open to learning all these different things, whatever it may be, being an entrepreneur, you know, an end of life doula, a podcaster, that it just opens up a world of, of so many different possibilities. It's amazing. It's uh, an, an organic happening. It, uh, and it just gets better and better in, in my opinion, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful experience to be open and you have to be open to receive. So I think that's another thing that sometimes comes with age is, you know, being open to receiving. Yeah, that's a very good point. I would love to start at the beginning. What is an end-of-life doula? Now, I mentioned that I have had, you know, a couple of end-of-life doulas on, but it's always um, interesting and refreshing, you know, to get new perspectives. So from your point of view, what is an end-of-life doula? You're right, Cindy, about different perspectives, because we all are unique, just as our life experiences and our death experiences are all unique. So the word doula is a Greek word for servant or helper. So just like a birth doula helps a woman during the labor process, a death doula does the same for someone experiencing the dying process. And that process can span months and Years. I mean, it's not it's not an event. So doulas help with supporting and planning for the future, regardless of the diagnosis or illness. And we do serve people uh, who are approaching death and provide a wide variety of non-medical support. So not every doula does everything. Some people choose to focus on uh, a couple of things. And we we do extend that support to their entire circle of care. Uh, it's a very wraparound, holistic approach. So it's just supporting everyone in a non-medical fashion, meaning emotional, practical, and spiritual support. So sometimes that can include pre-planning, advocacy in the medical area, legacy project facilitation, compassionate companioning, caregiver respite, bedside vigiling. I myself is, am a funeral uh, life celebrant. And of course, post-death assistance, you know, for 
uh, spouses and members of the family, as well as grief and bereavement support. So again, you're the expert on the plan, and uh, we are there to provide a variety of supports. I like that you're, you're bringing to the forefront that each doula may do things a little bit different. And they may, I'm going to use the word specialize. I don't know if that's the right word, but maybe specialize yep. in a couple of areas and where others may do a broader amount. Yeah, yeah. I do provide uh, all of those things because I feel that, um, you know, once I consult with someone, we talk about their needs, there is a variety and they can say, I don't really want to work on this, but I would love to focus on maybe a legacy project or, uh, you know, so I'm there for all of it. And again, I'm not the expert in all of those areas. What I am is the person who can gather the resources. If it's something that I'm not entirely familiar with, I'm going to get those resources and, and uh, fill those gaps. So do you find, and this just popped into my mind as we, as we were talking, do you find that more and more people are using end-of-life doulas? They're having more, um, that, that word that is becoming more popular? Absolutely. That's And that's a big part of why I'm doing what I do. I'm very interested in raising public awareness I will say that in my experience, and I have been uh, practicing for uh, only the last 14 months, so kind of hung my shingle, if you will, not very long ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, actually. Um, and what my experience has been is, um, other than one client who was 94, my clients have been late 50s, early 60s. So, you know, it's the baby boomers uh, who are looking for this kind of support. It's definitely gaining momentum, thank goodness. Yes. Yes, because it is definitely a, a service that is needed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how did you become interested in becoming an end-of-life doula? I love this question, Cindy, because um, I had... Uh, retired after 30 years as uh, I was support staff in corporate communications at the public school board. So I have no background, no health or social service background. I retired and was happily going to just travel with my partner and perhaps, you know, do the occasional uh, volunteer work. And I was quite happy doing that. And uh, about three years in, uh, I came across an ad, and this sounds very cliche, but I was not looking for it. It found me. I found an ad uh, from a local community college that was running a course in end-of-life doula work, and um, I called a friend of mine who was an executive director at a hospice and asked her her opinion on the work, and she said, we need more doulas. So I jumped right in. I, I signed up for um, the college course. I signed up for a course at a local hospice to, to become a visiting volunteer. And it just, it really, uh, I heard a term recently, uh, it cracked me open. And uh, I would say that is exactly what happened. And I feel that 
you know, I found my soul work, my spiritual work, if you will. Yeah, it's, I wasn't looking for it, it found me. I love that. You know, we were doing something as a career. You had 30 years doing something totally different and retiring and going to be doing your own thing. And all of a sudden, now you're an end of life doula. Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy uh, way to, certainly to, at least here in Canada or in my experience, um, to make a living. So a lot of people I know who are and have trained for the work are not able to perform the services um, full-time because it uh, it's difficult to make a living at it. Again, because it's not widely known. Um, so, But I am fortunate in that I had a you know, a pension from my 30-year job, which allowed me to not have to financially focus uh, my business. So that was um, really a fantastic opportunity for me to not have to focus on that like many of my peers do. So let's just go ahead and talk about this. What makes a good death doula? I think that first of all we must honor all people we walk beside them non-judgment you cannot walk into a, a you know a space in judgment of, of any kind and again as we've mentioned you know we are all the creators of our own life and death experience so I am there to identify gaps to talk with you to talk with your circle of care where are the gaps and how can I fill those gaps for you? What resources do you need? Um, you know, again, all our experiences are unique and we have to come in with empathy, with compassion, um, and, and just explore. What are your values? What are your wishes? Um, don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, it's part of life. It's an innate part of life. Um, and ultimately, a good death doula will provide enough resources that the client and their support group are completely empowered on their own. Now, so you've talked about the support group a couple of times. Does that mean like if a family member is, is in the dying process that the children or the um, whoever, whoever may be, it may be the wife or the husband that you're giving help to them as well emotionally? Yes, absolutely. And when I say support group or circle of care, I'm referring to everyone that's involved with care. And it doesn't necessarily mean um, at end of life. So when we're talking about critical illness, again, it can last a long time. So that support can be surrounding that person for a long time. And you have your medical teams and your maybe social service teams uh, your faith-based teams, and their family and loved ones. So that support does extend to um, loved ones, you know, who who may need to talk, may need to understand, give them opportunities for reflection and to share how they're feeling with what's happening, and also empowering them to be able to look after their loved ones. So uh, the more resources everyone has, um, the better off, right? So, yeah. It, it absolutely extends to all. Thank you for clarifying that. It is their friends and their loved ones, but it also 
um, the circle goes out, as you were saying, to the medical team. Yeah, that I like that. And and you know the other thing too, Cindy, is that we are often afraid to quote bother the medical staff. Right? They're too busy. They're they're looking after the you know the physical part of things. So if you are struggling emotionally, um, you don't you know there are many people. I would say. A, a lot of that would be more elderly, the elderly population, especially. They don't want to bother the doctors with, I'm upset or I feel emotional or I feel sad today. I'm struggling. I want to repair a relationship with a family member. You know, I mean, all of the emotional pieces, um, like you say, the messy bits in between, right? So they don't want to bother doctors, and that's where a death doula can really be so helpful in creating those opportunities, you know, for difficult conversations, right? And I just want to just go back just a little bit mm-hmm. because I really want to talk about the history behind end-of-life doulas. You know, doula is just a new word for something that has been going on for centuries, we have looked after our our sick and dying. We look after our dead. We did all that. We did that in our homes. Our children were involved. Um, the word doula is actually of Greek origin, and it means servant or helper. So, uh, you know, it. we have always done it. Um, but, you know, around the 1800s, then along came funeral homes and that process, And it took away the messy bits of death. But it also created a mystery around it. And then it was, we now have to protect people from it. We don't want children to see it. Um, And it has become, uh, we've become a death phobic society in many ways. So, you know, that is a big part of what, of what my goal is, is to break through that phobia. And, um, you know, a lot of people are choosing to um, die at home and are going back to creating home funerals. So, Sue, I was having um, death cafes and I had, I had it for about a year. And then I just, I had to just like stop that for a while, you know, with the podcast and, and I, and I work a full-time job, but I found that people who came to the death cafes were really, they had nobody else to talk to about whatever was on their mind around death. And what I was, what I was talking about was let's talk about the elephant in the room. Absolutely. We're all going to die. Let's talk about it. Yes. Yes. And I do a lot of, um, you know, I, I just want to say this quote, and it's it's uh, from a, a poet that, um, or a writer, a Japanese writer, and um, you know, now I now I'm looking for it in my little notes here because I really wanted to share it. You know, and really, it's it's by Murakami, and it really is just saying that you know, death is not the opposite of life. It is an innate part of life. And, you know, by talking about it and addressing it, we are nurturing our death experience. You know, that is the, you know, kind of my version of his statement. And I agree, uh, 
completely that the death cafes are a wonderful opportunity to open those doors for people who don't have the opportunity. I also do storytelling sessions, um, community information sessions. You know, those are all free sessions that I run uh, virtually uh, so that it gives people a chance to talk. I run, uh, you know, right now I've got a, a limited series going where it's Sunday special letters to loved ones. And people write a letter to someone who has not necessarily uh, passed on, but uh, for the most part. And uh, it allows people to just, you know, say something special to a loved one. So I, I love creating these opportunities. The storytelling especially is uh, a beautiful experience. And, and uh, yeah, I do that about every three months or so and um, offer it up to about six storytellers. And it's a biographical themed storytelling opportunity. They have 10 minutes to read their, their story. And uh, we have one coming up in May around um, women in our lives because, you know, it's Mother's Day month. And yeah, all, all the opportunities that we can provide for people to share what they're experiencing is so important. Sue, I love that idea of, of storytelling. So you're giving people 10 minutes to talk about is it about um, death and dying or is it just about anything? Yeah, yeah, no, it's specific to, you know, people that uh, who we, we've lost. And, you know, we have had a themed one where it doesn't necessarily have to be a person we've lost. We did one on, uh, um, you know, habits or, you know, different things that we've lost, not relationships, things like that. But for the most part, it has been uh, through death. Um, it's called the Goodbye Story Cafe. And they get the theme ahead of time. So, you know, if it's uh, on, you know, mothers or females in our lives, fathers, um, you know, diff different themes. And, and they have some time to create their story, to write their story. It's usually about a thousand word story. And then they read the story at our session. And uh, it's a beautiful experience. I mean, we are all stories and we are all storytellers. That sounds like a very healing project. Yes, I love it. Love it. And can people find out more about that on your website? Yes, uh, uh, my website is uh, Phillips.ca, all lowercase. All right, I'll have that in the show notes so people can go out and check that out. Thank you. Now, a while ago, you talked about the... Um, Clients that you've had have been in their 50s or 60s. And is that the age range that you find that people are hiring doulas? It is my experience so far. I, um, I did have a client who was 94, um, but actually it was her daughter who, you know, who found me. Um, so again, her daughter was, you know, in her 60s. And, uh, but her mom, 94 years old, she was absolutely um, engaging and lovely to be with. I was there to be a companion. So, you know, just go and sit. She was in a long-term care facility and just go and sit and talk with her. And I would ask her about her life and, and we had some beautiful conversations. Um, but yes, for the most part... Um, those are the people who I have experienced uh, supporting. Yeah. And what do you wish everybody understood about death, dying, and bereavement? 
again, like, you know, what we talked about earlier is that you don't have to be alone in your, you know, if you're dealing with a, a difficult medical diagnosis, uh, you know, you don't have to be alone. Um, there are people to, like myself, to help you to talk so that you can understand what you need. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Um, so what is out there for support and comfort? Um, so don't be afraid to explore that. You know, we want to be mindful of your needs, cultural needs, faith needs. All of those things are something that a doula, you know, really wants to provide. Um, and don't be afraid of it. It sounds a little, you know, alternative to some, but, um, it's here to stay. We are here to provide, we're here to add to what you're experiencing when you're going through this difficult transition. And uh, we're here to make it, you know, as comforting as we can. You were talking about storytelling um, earlier. And I was just curious, in your experience so far, have you at the end of life witnessed forgiveness in a family? I I loved I love this question, Cindy. Um, I haven't I haven't noticed uh, total forgiveness in that environment, but what I have seen is someone who is is dying, near dying, but I mean, no, not on their last moments, but definitely close. Um, who had a very very difficult experience with a with a parent with the mother, and uh, did not have a very good uh, relationship with the mother and does not. Um, but she was able to recognize, like, such a, she had such a deep level of understanding about why the mother was the way she was. And I, I wouldn't say that there was forgiveness there, but there was an acceptance that uh, provided uh, what this client needed. And um, I think, you know, for myself, like deep reflections and recognition around this work, it really has allowed me to focus on my own level of forgiveness in life as well. And I think it's important to allow people to, to decide not only to forgive, but set boundaries in order to create a peaceful balance in life. And, you know, it's, that is so important. So yeah, I, and that is something we talk about when we're training as doulas is being in those difficult situations where forgiveness may be necessary, or maybe the person who is ill wants to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, they say that you can, you can kind of focus on these things. If you're the person who is dying, I forgive you. Please forgive me. I love you. I wish you all the best. You know, those kinds of things are, are, are good focus for um, kind of reflection. Yeah, and just as you were talking, something else that came up for me is maybe people who are the ones that are ill want to forgive themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm just doing a, a series now, a short series. Um, like I was saying, I, I run these uh, 
these kind of little video series, if you will. And today's, uh, I just recorded one today for tomorrow, and I'll post it on my social media tomorrow, Sunday Special Letters to Loved Ones. And the person who submitted the letter today, she chose to remain anonymous. But what she did in her um, letter was, which was to her father, which was to say, thank you uh, for being there for me when you could. I forgive you and I forgive myself. And it's, you know, that's a beautiful thing. Oh, that's beautiful. And that touched my heart. And that makes me want to cry, actually. That's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, I do want to say that if if people are, um, you know, struggling with talking with someone to understand what they, you know, what they, what they need or what they want, there's a really good strategy for people to use. And it's, I wish, I worry, I wonder. I wish we didn't have this need to have this conversation because I know it might make you uncomfortable. But I wonder if we can take share some time to, um, you know, talk about what our wishes might be. And I, you know, and because I worry, I wish, I worry, I worry about not knowing what you will need. And I wonder if we could share some time to explore that. And I think it's important for people to try and have those conversations with each other. Thank you, Sue. I'm going to put definitely put that in the show notes because I think that is a good strategy. Yeah. I wish, I worry, I wonder. It provides, it provides uh, hope and um, yeah, it's, I, I really like the strategy. Now I want to talk a little bit about self-care because throughout my podcast, I always bring in self-care in certain um, places. And so what I wanted to just ask right now is, you know, I'm thinking about the hospice workers or any workers in the, in the healthcare field, you know, it's really important for them to practice self-care. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely vital, Cindy. Yes. Um, I know myself at the beginning of my practice, as I was, uh, you know, preparing my business and setting things up and attending webinars and attending classes and, you know, networking with many groups. And just, I was, I was really working hard at it. And of course, I loved every minute of it. And I would say things to my partner, like, this isn't, this isn't really work. This feels organic. It feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so it doesn't feel like work. But I did realize after several months that, oh, yes, I it was work. And I needed to slow down, take some time, reflection time, relaxation time. Absolutely for our healthcare workers. I mean, um, you know, as you know, I have... Uh, my mother in care right now, and and um, you know we are experiencing a lack of of uh, people in our healthcare system here in Ontario, and just watching people work so hard in the healthcare area is 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 unbelievable. So yes, we must 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 take care of ourselves, and you know during this pandemic, I feel like. Everybody is in a helping role, and that goes from people who work in the hospitals to people who run the corner coffee shop. We are all trying to help each other through a difficult time. You know, I do encourage 
clients and anyone that I speak to about uh, the work that I do that, you know, taking care of your wishes before you need, before you get sick or before you're close to dying is really a form of self-care that is often overlooked. People don't look at it as self-care. But when it comes down to the stress of dealing with illness and potentially dying, you know, knowing that you have everything in place uh, really is um, allows you to focus on living every moment, you know, as vibrantly as possible. So, yeah, self-care is critical, critical. You know, one of the things I like to talk about is, is the pieces of self-care that people don't normally think about. And you just brought up a perfect one. Right. Yes. It's people just don't think of it as self-care. I have I have people in my family who refuse to talk about it, don't want to talk about, you know, the inevitable. And they will literally say, no, thank you. I prefer to be in denial. Mm. And what I can see is when the, the time has come, when there is a difficult illness or challenge, health challenge, there's confusion, there's, you know, there's a lot of tears, there's the inability to, to focus, because now you've got too many things, too many balls in the air. And if you have everything written down, everybody who needs to has a copy of what your wishes are, not just the legal, not the, just the legal stuff, you know, it's, there's that other messy stuff, as you say, I love that term that you use, the messy bits, <clears throat> because there are a lot of them. So, yeah, very good way to uh, self-care. What is the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months and why? I would say that as I was preparing to begin uh, my services, uh, the pandemic hit, which meant I could not have a, I had planned this beautiful launch and I was going to have musicians and I really wanted to make it a lovely experience for people and uh, I had it all set up and I had to cancel it all and pivot to the idea of virtual uh, services and I was frightened I thought I won't be able to do this so I'll just have to keep studying for the next you know however long it takes um, and focus on other things I joined a couple of fantastic networks signed up for zoom and I was providing virtual support to clients. I was so surprised that that happened. But the nicest surprise, Cindy, has been how beautifully organic the path has been for me. I trusted every step of the way. I just thought, just keep going forward. And uh, it hasn't let me down yet. It's just been the most beautiful experience. I've loved our conversation. It's just... Just like the the other two episodes that I had with the end of life doulas, the information that you that you share is just so relevant to us as human beings, and it also touches those parts in our hearts that just makes it just burst wide open. As you talked about earlier, this this work finding you. But can you tell people how to find your website, your social media? how they can work with you? Uh, my website is definitely um, where you can find me and connect with me. Just uh, hit the contact us. And and that's once again, uh, www.suephillips.ca. And I am on Facebook as E-O-L Doula Sue. 
And I am on Instagram at sphillips5519. Absolutely love what I'm doing and love to share experiences with people. And uh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest. And the one thing, the last thing I want to ask you is what is the one big takeaway you hope our listeners take today? Cindy, I, I uh, love this question again. Thank you. Thank you so much for the beautifully reflective questions you've asked. Um, I would like to say that I hope people recognize that the end of life deserves as much beauty, care, and respect as the beginning. Oh, perfect. That is a perfect place to end as well. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I would love to hear your favorite part of the conversation. Over the next few weeks, I will be announcing a 12-week one-on-one coaching program. It's for women who are ready to make a change, finally let go of the past and stop waiting for permission to step into their big, beautiful lives, whatever that big, beautiful life looks like for them. It's called Journey of the Heart, an Inner Revolution. Also, June 1st is the beginning of a self-care series called Self-Care is More Than a Buzzword. It's personal. We'll be talking about self-care practices for our mind, comprehensive self-care to uplift your body, mind, and soul, and why it's so important to own and trust our sexual energy, plus so much more with incredible guests. Until next time, live inspired.